Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Right, it has been a difficult week and uh, it was only accentuated really at, at Newmarket by the fact that there was supposed to be a crowd pilot scheme trials going on on the Roly Mar, the three days of the Cambridgeshire fixture, and there weren't because of the announcement that, w w that was made by, by government earlier earlier in the week. There's been plenty of chat this week. Nick Rust has appeared with me on my podcast. He's talked on ITV. Um, but this is a fast-evolving situation. So I, I wanted to um, talk to him again this morning. And if you've been at work all week and you haven't been able to catch up with what Nick's been saying, it's a great opportunity for you as well. So he joins me on the line now. Uh, Nick, morning. Morning. Quite simply, what's the plan now for the sport? What is the plan? Well, I and my colleagues at the BHA at board and executive level, together with the industry's leaders through the RCA and the Horsemen's Group, are fighting for the future of the sport as hard as we can. Um, we, we brought uh, the recovery plan to the public on the 25th of August. But obviously, we're adjusting that based on this week's news. And there are three areas, Nick, that we're focusing on. First of all, bringing home to government clearly uh, the level of support that we need following the announcement this week. And the heartening aspect of that announcement was that government fully understands the impact of the decision on live sport and in particular on racing through the work that the tripartite parties have done. Um, so they're offering support and the Prime Minister in his statement uh, tasked the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who of course is MP for a constituency which features one of our great training centres, Midler Minute, uh, and our sponsoring Secretary of State, Oliver Dowden, for digital culture, media and sport, um, to work together, liaise with sports on the support that they will need as a result of this decision. Yeah. So that's, that's the first one. We've been working on it this week. Uh, and next, uh, this coming week, there will be a meeting of the industry's members committee to uh, approve our approach and, and get that, that detail into government this week and hopefully get the support that we need as quickly as possible. Secondly, we're continuing to press the case for levy reform to ensure that it remains sustainable for our sport. It's a vital source of income. Things have changed both at betting level and in terms of how people are betting as a result of shifts towards a digital platform. We earn uh, half as much money for each pound bet through digital as we do through retail. Um, and the difference has been accentuated through COVID. But also, you know, we are fighting to retain owners um, and to ensure that the right level of support for owners and breeders is in place versus our immediate international competition in Ireland and France. And with Brexit coming up, we need to have a level playing field with them in terms of uh, the incomes that we receive so that we can compete to retain owners and breeders active in this country. And the third area is we've got to make the very best case that we can, despite this week's news, that racing is a safe environment in which to bring back spectators and hospitality. As you know, my colleague David Armstrong, the chief executive of the RCA, has been working on this area with government, supported by uh, my team at the BHA, including Will Land, Martin Fuel and Ross Hamilton, um, to, to help ensure that government understands and that we've got some practical ways forward, um, which, which hopefully can mean that we can reignite the pilots. But David has been clear and said that racecourses are losing between 250 to 300 million pounds of income in 2020 because of COVID. And that's only going to get worse without spectators. So we urgently need to bring it back. And what I'd say is that 
We've done very well as a sport in resuming with over 400 events now, which at least two to 300 people have been present at every fixture. Um, and there has been no evidence of transmission of the disease. But we have to keep that going. And the message from Dr. Jerry Hill, who's been instrumental in a lot of this work and a real leader for our sport, at the end of the week just past was, you know, we're doing great, but we have to keep it up. And people need to be vigilant in their personal lives as well. You know, please make sure that you do everything you can away from the race course as well um, to help ensure that racing keeps its clean bill of health, which will keep us in the best possible shape. And finally, Nick, all I wanted to say on my initial bit is, you know, we are working together as industry representatives like never before. That has brought some successes so far. Uh, we have to keep that up. You know, in my 10 years involved with uh, government and lobbying and policy making at government level, both uh, on the betting side and on the racing side, I know, like many others know, that if you don't speak with one voice, then, um, then you won't be as successful in what you want to achieve. And, you know, we saw that in betting recently, um, where there wasn't a togetherness and they, they lost a bit of their lobby. And, and certainly when I was working in betting uh, eight to 10 years ago, I saw that racing, you know, failed to stick together and, and didn't really achieve what it wanted to. So we must stick together. You know, if you want to influence the way that things are going, you know, there are representatives at industry level who are meeting this week, uh, either on Tuesday or Wednesday. We're still working out the details so we can have everyone there who are going to ratify the approach taken by the executives that I've just set out just now. Let's take it from the top. You, you said you'd identified the level of support you need. Is there a figure that you are now presenting to government officials? We need this much. Please, can we have it? Um, we'll, at the moment, we're still working on what, what support will be common across all sports. So what we don't want to do is go in and say, you know, we need, let's say, £300 million. Um, the, the, the information that government wants is what is the impact of having no spectators? It's not going to seek to provide support on the front foot here that, that covers you know, all of the impacts of COVID, but it's looking to support us on uh, spectator measures. And as I say, about half of racecourse income comes from uh, spectator levels. So across a year, that would be £150 million. We can't put a figure on it yet because, of course, we're, we're hoping that, we we, that the worst case scenario that the government set out won't come true. We're hoping that we'll have pilots and crowds back within the winter period at some point. Um, but we're setting out the areas where government could help. We're still working out, and it's a bit early to say yet, and we, we hope to have worked it through a bit more, what, what Rishi Sunak's announcements mean in terms of direct support as well. So there'll be the general government support that, that everyone can have that Rishi Sunak announced. There will be some support for all of the major sports who met this week with Oliver Dowden, including myself and the other major sports CEOs on Tuesday. Um, those sports will, will, I would imagine, have some common uh, asks, and we're working together with those sports on that. And then there'll be the specifics for racing on top. But, but as I say, our message on the third point, Nick, is that we can mitigate a lot of this if government can help us to get, get uh, crowds back. And we're in an outdoor space um, with hospitality facilities where our, yeah. you know, racecourses have managed these pilots very well so far. So we want, we want really to press for that first. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Hi, welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday and Cornelius Leiser and I are now going to have a canter through yesterday's action in the company on the phone of several of the, of the leading protagonists. We will start with the Cambridgeshire itself, which was won in sort of barnstorming and rather extraordinary <laughs> fashion by Majestic Dawn. Now, given the brutal tailwind that was just blasting these horses up the, up the heat, it was there, it was ripe for the taking. Green colours there, Majestic Dawn, Blinker's first time. It was a sort of shock and awe performance, really, Cornelius. And, and um, in fact, the tactics employed were exactly the same as the tactics employed by David Egan on the horse when finishing fifth last year. But things worked out um, four places better on this occasion. The horses won like a sort of well-weighted, uh, often John Gosden-trained, handicapped block, well-backed, and has come and won in spectacular style. The fact he was, what was he, 40 to 1 in the end has left people uh, a little bit... Uh, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to have to tip my hat here to, to Rory DeLaghi, who napped this horse. He's, al he's already 
got a long lead in the naps table, and he napped this horse at 40 to 1. Well, I mean, you've got it. Fair give, play. Give me a ring next time. I, yeah, think the Irish, yeah, I think the Irish field have got that one in the bag. Yeah, yeah. And look at the way, you know, and it's never really in a huge amount of doubt, is it? This side is uh, crucial. Uh, old Sebuskar is over on the far side there, and he's run another gallant race, but uh, he's finished well behind. You had to be this side. But look at this horse striding on in spectacular style. Uh, and to what is an emotional success on two, um, on two fronts. A, Paul Hannigan, who's had this troubled uh, year with injury. He was worried he might have to give up. Problems with the vertebra. And then the biggest success so far for Paul Cole and Oliver Cole, who've started, a, I think they were practically the first training yeah. partnership, along with the Crisfords, weren't they? Very early training partnerships. So a big, big success for them as well. Well, interesting. Lydia told me yesterday, she said, do you know who the first joint trainers were? And I said... I said, well, it's the Coles or the Crisford. And she said, no. Who was it? It was Robert and Sally Ulner, because they were given a special dispensation, ah, right. joint licence. Do you remember before... Make a note of that for, for, for the, the West quiz. Berkshire quiz. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Racing exactly, Club exactly. quiz. But, no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a really notable success for, for the Coles and for Paul Hannigan. And uh, I'll tell you, the other thing that really made me smile was one bookmaker was um, bet, uh, each way um, uh, bets were down to eighth place. And mm -hmm. that was a tremendous tussle for eighth place. On, and those of us who were on Good Birthday who somehow <laughs> just got eighth place uh, are extremely grateful for that. Yes, uh, but if you've done, done all the sort of Kings Clear each way Yankees. And the horse had run very well and finished third last year, so it was, a, it was yeah. a perfectly reasonable one. But gr great day for Paul Hannigan uh, and uh, a great day for the Coles. And uh, the emotion uh, of the Roly Mile, the emotion on the um, Roly Mile is not always gushing. No. But, and yesterday, I, I imagine the main talking yeah. point was the weather. But there was tremendous, obviously, very special moment for Paul Hannigan, very special moment for Oliver Cole, very special, and for the Cole family, yeah. very special for Andrew Balding and Oshin Murphy as well, winning uh, We'll Come On to Alcohol Free, um, bit, uh, yeah. and by Jeff Smith in a sec. We, and, and very special for Clive Cox, who had a, a wonderful weekend, because it mm. wasn't just supremacy yesterday in the middle part, but also Isabella Giles recording a very fast time when, um, when blitzing her field in the Rockville. Clive's on the line now. Clive, morning. Good morning, Nick. We spoke yesterday, we spoke earlier in the week. Uh, it's all gone absolutely beautifully. How are the horses today? I'm pleased to say they're fine. Good. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And is, is that, is Supremacy's season now done? Is his sort of perfect season over, do you think? Yeah, I think um, unofficially, yeah, there's nothing else to really um, aim at for, for a two-year-old of that calibre at this time. Um, it's a great finale and, you know, we'll be um, wrapping them up for the winter and, and taking care of him, planning for next year. We're going to have a look at the race now and it's quite straightforward, really. Adam <laughs> bounces him out. He races very kindly. He takes the bridle. He takes him forward. He sets his own fractions and he wins really, really well in a very strong field. What were you, think what were you thinking when you drove home last night? Um, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot easier driving home last night than it has been many other times from Newmarket. I can assure you it was uh, the phone was, was very busy and um, it was just magical, you know. We, we kind of knew he was pretty smart the way he won at Goodwood in the Richmond. And um, he's, he's been pleasing us with the way he's worked. He's got physically stronger from uh, Goodwood. And, um, you know, you just hope that everybody else is, is, is maturing and growing the same. But... Uh, you know, you know, from your own point of view, and the way the horses have been running, it's been it's been a great feeling and uh, magical magical day. Yeah, at the moment he looks to have a bit of a mental edge on his rivals, the way he he races, and certainly physique wise, he he looks great. Would you anticipate that he can maintain that superiority as a three year old? Um, I would really hope so. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt he's had a very uh, sensible season this year really I mean he's got the most amazing temperament as you pointed out um, and, and that was why he, he ran very ordinarily first time out because uh, he was drawn wide at Windsor and he broke so smartly from the stalls that Hector took him back uh, to settle him a little bit and, and he'd literally switched off and um, you know obviously he has a great cruising speed and we were aware of that from that point on and uh, we've used that but his, his temperament is, is supreme, really, and, uh, um, and ability is clearly visible. Clive, he was, he was quoted for the, for the Guineas straight after the race. Then people were talking about the Commonwealth Cup. You said, though, out-and-out out sprinter, 
probably not beyond six furlongs. Is, so are we looking at that kind of area? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I think when you're that good at six, um, we know the family fairly well. And um, I think the, the, the sprinting, I, I trained his sister and um, obviously the same family as Harry Angel. I think you can get slightly um, off track with horses if, if you know, I, I, for me, he's pure speed. And, and I think Adam sums that up very um, um, appropriately after the Richmond. And, and, and I don't feel any different there. Uh, Clive, I want to talk about Isabella Giles because she was very good in the Rockville. Now, we're not sure how good a race it was from a form perspective, but as my um, time expert friends will tell me, the figures never lie, the clock never lies, and even even with the stiff tailwind, she she produced a sparkling performance time-wise. Uh, how how good do you think she is? Well, I'm thrilled because with her, uh, she won the Richmond very uh, not the Richmond, the Prestige uh, very impressively on a very very soft surface, which. Um, you know, people were entitled to think, was it just the ground? But as you rightly pointed out, the, the time that she, she covered the last three furlongs, especially uh, on Friday on a, on a better surface, really shows there's a, there's a degree of class with this filly. She's got a, an amazing temperament as well. Um, she settles beautifully. She'll, she'll get a mile pretty easily, I think, um, which is very exciting. And, and um, likewise, she's she's continued improving physically um I, I was surprised when i put the saddle on friday we had to go for a longer girth for her so this time of year that's not not usual behavior and um she's yeah she's just a really nice filly with a great mind and a lot of class so you've got you've got all the bases covered clive <laughs> you've got there you go you've got her for the you've got her for the 1000 guineas nando parado for the 2000 guineas after he's won either the jean-luc lagardere or the dewhurst and supremacy en route to the Commonwealth Cup. <laughs> Easy. Well, it's very exciting. <laughs> very, very um, uh, pinching myself with the, with the talent we've been lucky enough to, to have. And uh, we're very excited about moving forward with them as well. I'm sure you are. And you're, you're being very humble about it as well. But all joking aside, do you, can you identify a particularly a reason why all the stars have aligned as they have this time? Um, well, we keep doing our best all the time and, and luckily we've we've gathered a really good crop and you know we, we've bought a few we've been sent a few and so there's there's no precise reason especially but I'm, I'm just delighted that we're um we're dealing with the horses and um it's great to be talking about them all in the same group clive thanks so much for talking to us and well done Take care. Thank you, Nick. And of course, the thing is, when she, Isabella Giles, goes to the goes to the one thousand guineas, if she makes it there, she'll have to be taking on yesterday's Judmont Chevy Park Stakes winner. Yeah. Just a quick footnote to that, Maylas. Yeah. Um, oh, what a spectacular! So already in his first season, his crop have uh, accrued five hundred and seventy thousand, pretty much du- more than double uh, what the the next best stand is in a day. I think his mm. second. But uh, if you think uh, you've got uh, that winner, you've got Minzal. Got Atlam Express. Yeah, uh, you've got and Mamba Wamba's a nice horse for uh, Adrian Nichols. Uh, Mooka for um, Philip Makin mm. as well. There's there's a, a a decent list. And what's so intriguing? What I find so intriguing, he didn't race at three, did he? No. So he was. Re- so we don't really know uh, what what those horses, are, you know, judged on his character and oh, his ability. Do. We don't know because he never. Yeah, and it, yeah. But, it, but and it, that adds to the intrigue. It beautifully. does. It does. But the, the interesting. Point there is that Dark Angel, of course, was one of the those stallions initially who didn't race at three, who went mm. off to stud, and everyone thought, "Well, really?" Yeah. And of course, Dark Angel, by acclamation, yeah. has gone and produced horses yeah. of all ages who've excelled. Memas, another yeah. acclamation, mm. could be could be the same story. Let's um, have a look at Alcohol Free winning the Cheeky Park Stakes. Uh, uh, Sheen Murphy set out as though uh, he well, he set out like a man possessed, really, on Jeff Smithsville. Just look at her there in the the purple colours with the pale blue cap. He knew that on this day you had to be handy and he had every faith not only in her in her stamina for the trip, Cornelius, but also her street wisdom. Yeah, she, she, she wanted to get on with it, didn't she? Um, Salisbury, uh, when her, her previous race, she'd been quite unfortunate to be drawn towards the outside, showed a bit of greenness as well. But there was a real feeling that day that she would have learnt plenty and I remember talking to her trainer, Andrew Balding, um, a week or two afterwards, or not long afterwards, 
And uh, I said, gosh, she, she, that, you must have been full of encouragement from that. And he said, oh, looking forward to the Cheebly Park with Alcohol Free. He's very well named. Have you noticed the naming by... Well, no, no, never. Out of um, a, a, a drinking... I can't think what the mother was called now, but it, it's, it's plying. I think the mother was called plying. So ah, that's right. quite, a, quite a nice thought. And look at the way, you know, she, she, she has to knuckle down here. The, the cavalry are coming, but she's having none of it, is she? And uh, she ends up not winning by half the track or anything like that. But I, I felt although the second and third were coming at her, they, she was, as they say, always doing enough. And clearly this was a very emotional success for the Kingsclear team, those colours of Jeff Smith. And uh, that was Jeff Smith's first win at Group 1 level since Arabian Queen. Ah. But the first for the, that the Baldings have produced since uh, this century, I think I'm right in saying, Lock Angel, uh, Lock Song's brother, was... Sister. Uh, sister, I won should say. Won the Nunthorpe yeah. in about 1999. And although the Baldings have trained dozens of winners uh, for Jeff Smith and lots of super horses... Mm. Uh, to be there at Group 1 level was clearly very important to the team. Yeah, you mentioned Lock Angel, Lock Song, Grace Shot, of course, one of my favourites, a great stare that uh, the Kingclear team had for Jeff Smith. Andrew Balding joins us on the line now, and I think Andrew Cornelius has just touched on the, on the salient point there as regards why this victory meant quite so much to you. Yeah, it was special. I mean, Jeff's been a big supporter for the yard, and, um, you know, every year he sends us nice horses, and um, thanks, Cornelius, for pointing out that we haven't had a Group 1 winner for in this century, but... Um, I didn't think he needed reminding of that, but he, uh, he's just always, he's just a fantastic person to train for. He's, he's so enthusiastic in spite of the fact that he's had horses for years and years and still just absolutely loves it and, uh, takes the rough with the smooth and it's just great for the, the whole team. Got a big buzz out of yesterday. What I hadn't realised until she won at Newbury and we spoke after the race was that she was the first two-year-old filly you ran this season. So she obviously has a sort of a forward mind as well as plenty of ability. Yeah, I think she's she's got plenty of natural ability. I mean, she doesn't look like a two-year-old. You know, she's sort of quite tall and looks more like a, a you know a filly for next year. And uh, I think her, her sort of class got it got her through it uh, yesterday. And I can't wait to try over a bit further next year. And again, I asked Clive Cox the same question about supremacy. But I mean, is there anything else you can really do with with alcohol free this year or not? I don't think so. I think she's prove that she's at that sort of elite level and you know we're, we're very much looking forward to the guineas next year i mean in your mind i mean you've seen enough horses of varying different distances i mean how confident are you that 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 she could be a miler well i'd be fairly confident I mean, the half brother um who was a decent horse went over further and she is a she just she doesn't look like a sprinter put it that way um and she relaxes well in her races, and I, I think there's every chance she'll get him out next year. We'll talk about Kamiko in a moment, but you've often talked about his professionalism, his bomb-proof temperament. What um, attributes does Alcohol Free have that set her apart, just as a, as a, as a character, as a, as a horse at home? Well, I, I think just class. I mean, every time we've, you know, she sort of took us by surprise. As I say, she doesn't look like a two-year-old, but as soon as she started sort of doing a little bit of faster work, it was, you know, she was ready to run within two weeks of starting faster work. Uh, just everything comes easily to her. Um, and, you know, that sort of natural ability you don't find in of, of, of that level in many horses. And she's fine this morning? She was sound this morning, lost nine kilos, and, uh, yeah, all, all good. That's good. And how did Kamiko come out of his race? Yeah, really well. He's, um, he's a tough customer, and, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's come out of it great. And uh, you're, you're happy to stick with the original plan, QE2, and then work from there? Yes, I, th I think so. I think we all, um, obviously, the owners sponsor the, the QE2, and um, you know it is the most. It's going to be the, the, the championship mile race this year. I would have thought, and um, obviously, sadly, Marcus's horse isn't there, but um, all the others will mm. be there, and uh, that's where we'd like to go. Um, is he going to stay in training? I, I don't know. Look, it's not my decision. Um, you know, obviously, economics suggests that probably he could make a lot more for the firm being at stud, but I, you know, that's entirely Shepard's decision and I don't think he's made one yet, so I'll, I'll stay out of it. Obviously, we'd love to have him in training, but I quite understand how these things work and, uh, you know, he's, he's at the end of the day, he's the fastest Guineas winner in history and he's a, yep. you know, he showed on Friday, he's a, he's a serious seriously talented all. Yeah, you've written the tagline for the Stallion commercial. <laughs> fastest. I mean, we, we, can all, we can all see it and you're, be, you're being very diplomatic, but I mean, if he was mine, and if I trained him, I'd sort of get 
I'd sort of get a, a sense of unfinished business if he if he packed up this year. Would you feel the same? Yeah, I think. Look, I can't say that. You know, we made a total mess of it because he's won a guineas. But I, I don't think. You know, if, it, if the cards were played in a normal year, we wouldn't have played played it the way we did. But but that was the circumstance of how things how things were working out. So. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's just great. It was sort of a bit of redemption on Friday that, you know, just shows because it's a seriously good performance to give five pounds to those very talented older horses and give them a beating. I mean, it was, a, you know, it just shows what a good horse is. Andrew, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Andrew Balding. There. Just, just a footnote to the whole Jeff Smith thing. Yeah. Um, he, he has been uh, a prominent owner since the mid 70s. Uh, and then, you know, horses like. Chief Singer and mm. Lok Song and a Persian Punch, but lots of other sort of good names as well. He must have uh, been incredibly um, young when he started. Yeah, and he's he's he has been in a, in an era where clearly um, superpowers from around the world uh, have uh, have dominated European racing. Jeff Smith has been right there uh, mm. throughout, and the Baldings. I just looked it up. Andrew's trained 102 winners. Ian 86 winners. Uh, for in those colours, uh, and they've uh, won something like four million pounds in prize money. David Ellsworth, lot of success uh, with Elsie as well. Uh, Sylvester Kirk, James Eustace, uh, Rafe Beckett. Uh, so lo- lo- there have been a lot of winners in those races. Very, very solid, and it's great to see. You know, as Andrew said, he takes the rough with the smooth. Not everything turns out to be uh, Group One, yeah. uh, but he will be celebrating. He also owns, I think, my favourite superstition. I remember doing a thing about superstitions a few years ago. And he, if he gets a new pair of binoculars, he's really worried about watching a race for the first time through these binoculars. And then I'm told, he, and it, this was in the day of videos, he put a video of a winner into his television, get the bins out and watch the, watch <laughs> the winner through his binoculars. If, that, if that's an apocryphal story, Jeff, I apologise, but it's a great one. It's a good story. It's a good story. And just to show you that we don't just throw this programme together, Rafe Beckett's on the phone now because he trained the winner of, of yesterday's Judmont Royal Lodge Stakes new mandate as well as a, a stack of other winners over the weekend. Rafe, morning. Good morning, Nick. Uh, and I'm sure you would echo everything Cornelius was just saying about Jeff Smith. Uh, it was fantastic yesterday. Um, I, uh, Andrew, Andrew passed me going uh, to saddle for the next race. And I said, uh, he said he'll be doing handstands and cartwheels, I said. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just the most fantastic day for Jeff. We were all looking at each other at the beginning of August. His trainers were because none of us had trained a winner for him all year, and it was getting desperate. You know, nothing was going right. We're sending nice two-year-olds out and getting them turned over, and my older horses were the, the four or five older horses I had for him were all falling apart. It was just awful, and uh, he's never stopped having winners since. So it was marvellous. Well, the good news is you're training quite a few winners at the moment as well. It was an excellent and very productive few days on the, on the Roly Mile for you. I want to talk new mandate a little bit more because the horse has got stacks of talent and has had a, an interesting career t- to this point. Is he OK today? Yes, he, he bounced up the yard this morning, so all good there. And he's, I know we talked about the gelding operation yesterday. You were very amusing saying that in January he was like Warren Beatty on steroids, so you had to... <laughs> You had to whip his vital organs off, and it, it, it's definitely done the done the trick, and it's turned him into a into a very very uh, good racehorse in, indeed. Um, how excited are you by him? <clears throat> well, uh, he he he's done more than we expected him to. To the, uh, obviously. Um, but what I can tell you is that when Jamie McCalmont rang up to inquire about him after he won his nursery, he quoted a figure at it at me, uh, and I said, Jamie's much, much better than that. Um, and, and, I, and I'm guessing the figure, you know, I'm not going to ask you to name numbers, but I'm guessing that no. the, 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 the figure wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't 40,000 quid, was it? It wasn't insignificant, no. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to be, say, oh, sit here and say, aren't we clever? But Jamie is a very old ally of mine, you know, um, long time. And uh, he, he, he read all the signals correctly and uh, came back quickly with, with, uh, with a deal that we could all um, 
all go forward with. Uh, you know, we we believed in you know you know getting beat first twice in novices was slightly frustrating. Asker, I didn't uh, I realise I hadn't done enough with him because he'd done found everything so easy at home, and then the second time he just got a bit of a roll on too early in the piece on the on the July course and uh, and uh, folded late, but. He came out of that race much better than I expected him to. You know, I thought it was rather traumatised him, his second start, but and so we gave him plenty of time to get over it. But um, in, in retrospect, I needn't have bothered because you know he takes everything in his stride. So um, yeah, he's he was bought for a syndicate to, to you know that uh, take a long-term view and um, to, to sell horses to the. Uh, Australian and national hunt market as three-year-olds. Um, so for him to have done this by the end of September oh. too, and the May fall as yeah. well. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what this horse is not, Rafe, and that's that's a national hunt prospect. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. I, he he showed some serious speed, and I was looking at the tie. They didn't go a great pace, and he's quickened up from the back. He's run against the bias. He's posted ridiculous time for the last two or three furlongs of the race, and Frankie was obviously seriously buzzed up by the performance. Do you actually think he is an out-and-out miler, or is he actually a pretty fast horse? I think he's just a very fast horse. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think he's a, you know, I would be astonished if he didn't get a mile and a quarter with that pedigree. Um, I think everybody would, uh, but he is, as you say, very fast. So, is he going to go to America? Uh, it'll be difficult not to, Nick, because it's, you know, because he, because I gelded him. Uh, there isn't a whole lot for him to aim at in the first half of next year, so it'll be difficult not to. But we've got plenty of time to make up our minds about that. Okay, Rafe, thanks so much for chatting to us. Pleasure. That's Rafe Beckett, who uh, trained New Mandate to win the Judmont Royal Lodge yesterday. And uh, a, a race which has produced some... Well, Frankel won it, didn't he? And uh, Roaring Lion going what, back to uh, Benny the Dip, Mr Bailey's. So, uh, clearly, he can't take those, that route because of the gelding. Yeah. But, but th this is a horse who's won a good and significant race in good style. Uh, and it'll be a really interesting puzzle for Rafe to, to work out where to go and where you can go because uh, it doesn't matter if you're a gelding or not. I dare say this is going to be a talking point. It might be. Uh, I, I'm not, I haven't seen the list of talking points, obviously, uh, ahead of time. But uh, I think it is an interesting talking point about geldings and what mm. they should be allowed to take part in. But it has been... Um, the, the, to an extent, the year of the gelding, hasn't it, with Batash mm -hmm. and also the horse... Um, Lord North. Uh, Lord North, the good horse of uh, Sir Michael's that won the Haydock Sprint as well, Dream of Dream Dreams. Of dreams. Uh, so, um, you know, it's not, all, it, it, it's not all about the breed and continuing the breed and excellence in the breed. We can have a bit of uh, diversity. Mm -hmm. That's right. When are the talking points? Hey, in a few moments' time. <laughs> uh, we need to have a look at... A two-year-old who may yet, even after what we've just seen with supremacy, alcohol-free and new mandate, we need to talk about a two-year-old that struck in Ireland yesterday who might yet wow. be the best known of the whole lot because he's got the right connections, the right provenance. This is high definition, winning the Beresford Stakes. It, it's, this is kind of an insane performance as well from well, high definition. It's a sort of question of sport, what happened next, isn't it? Um, because... Uh, where are we? We're right he's, at the, he's at the back. He's right at the, the back. In the Derek Smith colours, the purple with the white striped sleeves. Absolutely. And uh, he's not actually going to uh, start his move forward for, for some time yet. Um, but uh, th this, is, this is a horse um, who has a, a good reputation. And he finished quite late and fast, didn't he, on his, his debut. But look at him. He's still sort of lobbing along at the back. They're probably not going a, a massive um, speed. Uh, at this point, but um, it's it's not going to unfold for another another f couple of furlongs, really. Um, and uh, keep an eye as well on Sheikh Hamdan's horse, which is halfway down the field at this uh, stage, the blue and white with the noseband, because this whole race is going to change completely in the the next thirty seconds or so. So he, the jockey just has to um, get after him to find a position there. But uh, look at the way that um, he is going to accelerate through the closing stages. Here comes Sheikh Hamdan uh, from his position with 
So he's still got... The, the winner has still got most of the field to follow with a furlong and a half to run. He's got a massive stride on him, this horse. And you, you, you just know, given the way that Ballydoyle progressed their horses, that yeah. there's going to be more. But still, half a furlong to go. He's yeah. surely still not going to get there. And and the we're, com- we're, we're battling against Jerry Hannon's commentary at the moment, and we're going to lose this battle very shortly. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, uh, and uh, what I love is the passionate commentator, and Jerry is a mm. classic example of that. But that clearly, you know, the, 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 the least surprising thing of all, I can't remember what time the race was yesterday, mm. but within five seconds of the end of the race, we had a new clear favourite for the, or a clear, clear favourite for the Epsom Derby in uh, 2021. And that is the beauty of this time of year. For all the leaves are falling and for all that. We've had a fair amount of doom and gloom this week. We've had a load of horses that you're looking forward to. And, and it's not horses. just been at Newmarket and the Curra. It's mm. been spread around. So mm. actually, if you follow the meeting meeting at Nottingham today, you follow a meeting at Leicester, uh, all around the country, there are uh, little bits of the puzzle being thrown ahead uh, for 2021. Well, so it is an exciting time. You've been at time. Perth, looking yeah, ahead to the jump season. Funnily enough, there weren't that many <laughs> clues for the 2021 Classics at Perth. Strange that. Uh, but um, it was good to see uh, Fergal O'Brien in... Uh, in good form, Lucinda Russell at her local course, uh, knocking them in left, right, and centre as well. So is it going to survive? Perth Racecourse. Yeah. Perth Racecourse will survive, but it's they're going to have to uh, have kindly bankers mm. and a good plan for the future. But fortunately, in Hazel Poplinski, they've got a chief executive who who knows what she wants for the track and what the what the supporters of the track want for the track as well. So I'm sure uh, ultimately. It, it'll be okay, albeit it'll be tough. I, and I know it's a place close to your heart, and I know you sponsored a race there this week, but are they going to need people who love the place to be quite philanthropic, do you think? And uh, is, is that something that applies to quite a lot of the well, small uh, independents? Yeah, well, or to, yeah, absolutely. But Perth has got a sort of... Uh, I, I bore on about this, and people probably feel that I bore on about it, but if you haven't been, there is an iconic... Uh, uh, it is an iconic place. Once you go once, I went for the first time to Perth in September 1993. Um, and I think um, uh, I, I remember meeting Lucinda Russell that night. Uh, and in, I'll tell you the circumstance, she was dancing on a table. And it's that sort of race course. Because in the afternoon, you get out and the racing between the, the mm. north and the south, the Brian Hughes's, Richard Johnson's, they're all competing together. And then it is a genuine festival. It spills into the town, obviously not so much at the moment, uh, but uh, certainly in normal circumstances. And the first time I met Lucinda Russell, she claims I was dancing on a table as well. Now, I can confirm that is unlikely to be the case, but my memory of it's a tiny bit hazy, yeah. but she was definitely dancing on a table. And it's that sort of place. You, you can lead a horse into the winner's enclosure in the afternoon and dance on a table in the evening. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. It's a major failing on my part that my next guest has not been in this Luck on Sunday studio before, but we are writing that wrong now. She doesn't need a great big build-up. She's achieved just about everything you can achieve in this sport. She is the former jockey and now very successful trainer and pioneer in her field, Gay Kellaway. Gay, good morning. Good morning, Nick. And great to have you with us. And you... You brought a few bits and pieces with you as well, and I wanted to start by, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but this is a cartoon that was done in, I thought, what, late 80s? Uh, no, early 80s. Early 80s. Yep. Saying, I don't <laughs> care who's sponsoring Gay Kellaway, you're not going out like that. Now, where can, I, where, can I, where can I show it to you there? I think you'll just see it there, and it's the horse emblazoned with um, advertising. There we go. And what I didn't realise, until you told me, is that you had the biggest... Sponsorship the in first racing sponsorship at the time. Ever the first, the first jockey, commercial yeah. sponsorship at the time, By which was in the early eighties. It was Hind. So tell me how it all came. That all came about. Um, obviously, I was making great strides as a lady jockey. I yeah. was, you know, I rode in the Oaks, and obviously, I think it happened before the Ascot winner. Actually, the Ascot winner was the, obviously the icing on the cake for the sponsorship Hinds, and they came about because back in those days, amazingly enough, you know, uh, well-known sports women at the time were appearing in various, you know, I met Princess Diana, fortunately, uh, at, um, w- when they opened a big centre up in London. And um, I met various people like Maureen Lippmann, uh, bizarre sort of actors, famous sports people, Olympians. And we appeared, I remember one time I, I appeared uh, promoting Orangina, which is a French drink. Yeah, yeah, no. I... <laughs> and I had to dress up in, 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 in racing, racing gear in a boxing ring. And you had Brian Jacks, Maureen Lippmann, 
and, and various well-known, I think Linda Lasardi was there as well, there various uh, um, uh, well-known personalities. This was definitely the 80s. You're, defi you're definitely yeah, giving and, us and a flavour of the And one of the guys the from Bread, one of the, uh, the stars, uh, stars, actors from Bread, and there was a sort of obscure sort of people sort of joined into a, uh, and they asked me, and, and obviously I didn't have an agent then, or they just called us up and asked to do these promotional things for, for, for you know, to promote people, well-known people in sports. So obviously in those days, obviously you have it very much so now, uh, or the intention, but, you know, it, it was, you know, you had the basic racing papers, the basic TV channels. Um, so it's quite good. It was, it was, it was, um, certainly I did some obscure things. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that's a measure of the fact that, you know, racing was pretty close close to the the spirit of, of that time and absolutely. more yeah, so absolutely. than it, more so than it obviously it is now and and you as a as a female jockey was getting on were were a pretty big deal i think maybe people forget <laughs> it was, it people was a big that. deal it was it was because obviously in the 80s the the governing bodies at the time the jockey club they didn't want a woman stepping on their toes. There wasn't, I think there might have been Lady So-and-so that was a steward in the background, but basically women didn't appear. There was, I don't think there was many women trainers at the time. Mm. Very few women trainers. Well, there aren't now. Uh, we'll come there's on to not that a later. huge amount, no, but the yeah. ones that are are very good. Um, but, you know, and women weren't apparent, and even riding out, there would be a couple of girls in my, in my dad's string, and even at Clive Britton's, there'd be a few uh, road outs as well, a few uh, girl riders or grooms, but it was basically it was male orientated. Did you want to do it when you were a child? Did you actually <laughs> want to do it? I actually wanted to be a trainer from very young um, uh, when I got involved in racing. I actually went to college in Cambridge and I was studying um, art. I was very sort of arty, arty, and it was that sort of era. But um, my dad was short staff one day, and he said, can you come and ride, you know, will you ride out? And I thought, God, do I have to? So how old are you at this point? I, was, I think I was about 16, yeah, 16, so yeah. So I rode out, and um, I thought, oh, I quite like this. I really enjoyed it. It was refreshing. Went down the line, kilns, gallop, and I thought, this was great. I used to lie about my weight, because I'd be put on the worst horses, with Clive as well, Clive Britton. He always used to put me on the slowest horses, because I was about seven stone, seven and a half stone. So um, I um, sort of got hooked on it then, and I started being an amateur, and I ended up being a, a champion amateur lady jockey when I was, I think I'm still the youngest at 18 to be champion. And I thought, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to go and join Noel Hickey in America because I was spending my winter. Obviously, we didn't have all-weather racing in those days. Yeah. So um, I thought I'm, I used to spend time in, um, in America, you know, uh, well, to improve my riding with Noel Hickey. And I thought, I'd like to train horses. I love, I love being part. You're more part of the horse. But the, the jockey, you walk away at the end of the day. You're not actually doing the stables in the morning and, and really being part of a horse. Whereas a train, you, you do everything. And um, it's much more mentally skilled and than being a jockey. Um, so anyway, I wanted to be a trainer, and I thought I'd go and be a... Because there's lots of assistant trainers in America, and you yeah. went all over Chicago, California, and you went various places like that and, and did all the work for that trainer. So anyway, I was going to go there, and Father said, you can't go there, you're going to turn professional. I said, you're having a laugh, aren't you? I'm not riding against Lester Bigot and Pat Edry. <laughs> I said, women don't... I, I felt that way. Women do not ride against men professionally. It was just completely amateur sport, and it was good fun, and I enjoyed it, and had a great time, met some wonderful people. Elaine Mellor was top amateur then, and I was with her, and you know, it was great. But I wasn't going to be a professional rider, so I was kind of forced into it. Yeah. I said, you've got to ride. I need your help. I'm not getting the rides. And I sort of turned professional in the mid-season. I, I, I find it quite fascinating, actually, because your dad, Paul Kellaway, was a brilliant, brilliant jump jockey um, and a hard man of the old school. But he wanted you, his daughter, to turn professional. There's an interesting contradiction there, isn't there, between somebody of the old school but someone who wanted a female rider to ride, you know, But on father equal never terms looked at me, me like that. He no. treated me like it was, I was his son, really. He said, you should have been the boy. That's what he used to say. <laughs> and uh, he treated me more like a boy, really. He spoke to me like I was a lad. But he uh, was pretty tough. You know, he's a hard man to please. He felt suicidal sometimes when he rode some of his horses afterwards. He was really, really hard, really hard man. I never forget he told me off from getting beat on one at Yarmouth. In those days, the, the winning, uh, the winning enclosure was quite away from, uh, from the, from where you pulled up, and I got the biggest <laughs> rollicking all the way there. I thought, what am I doing this for? You know, <laughs> and I ended up riding in winters in New Zealand for, for a really good trainer over there, 
um, Alan Jones, and he was really kind, a kind man. So all these trainers can't be that hard. They were quite tough in those days, trainers. Um, I mean, the only trainers that are still now in Newmarket was Sir Michael Stout, Mark Prescott. Uh, Gosden at the time wasn't even there. He was an America trainer. So there was very few. I think Sir Michael Stout and, 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 and um, yeah, and Sir Mark Prescott, the only trainers I knew from when I was a child that's still there now. So I'm clearly one of the oldest <laughs> trainers still in Newmarket. But um, I never really wanted to do it. That's the on God's honest truth. I've always wanted to be a trainer. When I got into horse racing, I always wanted to be a trainer. And you, um, you spoke quite movingly in a recent Racing Post interview about the, the battles you had with your weight at the time. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I mean, our weights were low. I mean, for God's sake, we used to weigh out with blinkers. The blinkers are on the horse's head. We had blinkers, breastplates, and anybody who doesn't know what one of those is, it's just a strap you put around the front of a horse that holds the saddle from going backwards. A neck strap that goes around the horse's neck tang. Every part that went on that horse, and the, and, and, and the number cloth. Uh, in France, we had to weigh out the helmets. Because <laughs> I rode in France. I was fortunate yeah. to ride in France, Longchamp, a couple of times. I got the opportunity, which was great. But, you know, it was ridiculous. So, obviously, and we were riding, like, there was weights as low as seven stones. So, you imagine those jockeys would have to be about six stone ten, because <laughs> our saddles were heavier, our gear was heavier. Um, obviously, people are a bit heavier now, and, and, and we had a lot of little people. I never forget when I moved into Newmarket on my 13th birthday. I thought, there's a lot of little people. <laughs> they were really small people. So, but, um, And I was, uh, I was quite tall. I'm quite small now, short compared to, to the jockeys riding nowadays. But it's all about weights, and obviously the weights have been raised a fair bit from my day. And, and you were obviously too fearful to really say too much, because I'm guessing you didn't want to let anybody down. So you, you just sort of... Believe it or not, I was really shy, and it's only through uh, the confidence having success that um, I became more bolder. And I think when I became a trainer, I became even bolder. You had to, you know, you had to get yourself out there and sell yourself as a trainer. But as a jockey, I was really quite um, insular, actually, would be the word, because I, I, I didn't want to mix marks. I didn't take a lot of interviews. I was I, 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 because of this woman thing against men, and they made such a big thing of that in, in the national newspapers. I'm not talking about the racing papers; it's never really touched on in the racing papers. But in the in the national newspapers, they used to regularly call me and do the woman against the man thing all the time. So you know. And did I, you did you find that quite uncomfortable? Yes, I did very much so, because we we're living in a time in the 80s that men had bigger salaries. And women were sort of there, and um, a good a, a good wife's the one that stays at home. I mean, we were living in the well, it was the dark ages, wasn't it? I was quite liberated because I felt I could do. I had to. All I knew that I could not ride at the same weight as Pat Edry because he was riding at eight four. I said I'm nowhere near as good as him, um, and I, I've got to ride at a lower weight than any of these jockeys, these top jockeys. So I really used to waste diet very hard, very and hard. You, you, you came quite close to, to sort of actually inflicting some, some well, damage Well, I was very ill. One yeah. day I was, I remember I rode a Pontefract one day and the lads at the, st the store handlers are really good to me because they could see I was having a tough time, A, from my father and B, from wasting so hard and I, like, my face was sunken in. And Though I felt really good when I was light riding, you know, you felt the horses used to run for you because I was like light. But I got to the stage, I remember I rode at Pontefrat and I had a horse go down in the stalls with me and the stall handlers jumped straight and pulled the, pulled the horse, said, Gay, get hold of the horse's head, you know. And I felt so bad that day. And that night I came back and I just collapsed. I'd, I'd just been wasting too hard. I just wanted to do it so badly. The same, you read the story about Richard Dunwoody. Mm. Now, I grew up with Richard. He, he worked for my father. He was a really good friend of mine. And he was passionate about wanting to be a jockey. And to the point of wasting so hard he wanted to be a flat jockey Richard wanted to be a flat jockey and he made himself really ill I remember when he was going uh, he was at boarding school he made himself really ill from dieting because he so badly wanted to be a jockey you know I mean that that's what goes through your mind you want it so bad um, that you'd do anything sacrifice anything what did it feel like to you when you stopped riding was it a relief uh, when I stopped riding because I was riding in New Zealand in the winter obviously we didn't have the all-weather racing then I think now I would, it would be sublime. I'd love it because you race all the year through. And I was worried, but Father always wanted to keep me at home to ride the yearlings through the winter. And it was like, I'd done all that, been there, done it, bought the T-shirt. I wanted a ride. And I wrote a letter to Alan Jones because via Elaine Mella told me, I said, where else in the world are women the same as men, equal nearly? And believe it or not, though New Zealand's meant to be 10 years behind the UK, 
they were on mm. level, way ahead of us. And 50% of the riders in New Zealand were girls, really good girls. You had Murray Linden that went to Singapore and was a top rider there, you know, all, all back in the 80s. Did you, did you feel happier there than anywhere yes, else? Yes, very happy. I can, see, I can hear yeah, it in your voice. I had good times there. And also I proved to myself it wasn't my father giving me all the good rides. Mm because, you know, you'd all think that. Um, Alan Jones said you were the best English jockey I had over here, and I used to work, and he said, your work ethic is brilliant. But, again, the, the weights were very light. They were lighter. You know, I was riding at 49 kilos, 50 kilos. They were lighter than they were in England. But I went over there straight from the, from, from the English season, straight to New Zealand, got yeah. on a plane. Father went mad. I just disappeared, went to New Zealand and just took off. Never heard from father all through the winter. And then totally got a call in the, in the, new, year, in the new Year and said, well, you're coming back to ride these horses. But, you know, I had a really good season. I rode some good horses there and had some good winners. So. Were you tempted just to stay forever? I was offered a job in Australia and I probably should have gone. Do you but, regret it now? Uh, I don't regret anything I've done in racing. I've been so lucky you know, to, to, to have a beautiful home I have. And, you know, something I was never, I never, I, I wasn't brilliant at school. Um, I, um, I, I'm a very ambitious person, but I believe that being a girl rider, I had to try twice hard. I'd be running at night, run, walk, lots of walking. Like Ray Cochran always used to say, walk, walk, gay, don't run, you put on weight. And I used to watch my way. I was so dedicated. I used to take aerobic classes. I used to teach aerobics. I was obsessed. I had no sort of, uh, uh, not that I was bothered, any social life when I was in my teens. It's, quite, just, it's quite funny because people associate you with being, A, quite outspoken and, and confident, but, but also quite gregarious and enjoy, enjoy people's company. The picture you're painting doesn't necessarily tell I've made up for lost time, that. trust me. But, it, but is it because you're... Is it because you're wanting to compensate? Is it because you think, well, if I'm going to be successful as a, as a business person, then I'm going to need to get out there and sort of sell myself a little bit? Yeah, but I, I, a lot of my owners are my friends, which is great. And they've been very loyal and very difficult circumstances this year. Um, very, very loyal. Um, because as an owner in this country, I'd be thinking twice about having a horse in training yeah. here because the circum you're not being able to go, etc. But, you know, I, I take them as my friends and it's my life. It's my total life. I... I, I the only other sport I'm, I'm very passionate about is tennis. But uh, apart from that, I, I, I stay put in racing. Even on my off days, I actually go racing and enjoy going racing. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Bastiat Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.